0: This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, I've got a great show lined up for you today. We are going to talk in this segment about parallels between the current timeframe in which we find ourselves in the late 1920s. There are some eerie similarities. We're going to look at both timeframes, and I'm going to share with you some information that's not often discussed, and it is how central bank policy, how the policy of the Federal Reserve, uh, in my view, and I believe the uh, data that I'm going to cover with you, the information I'm going to cover with you in this segment, uh, shows that it is this policy really that created bubbles. And as everyone here knows, bubbles eventually burst. And that's what we are seeing now in my views. So uh, I'm going to give you some information in this segment, along with some Resources, I do have a special report for you that is available during the month of January. The report is titled Two Possible Options, and it deals with the two options that the Federal Reserve has moving ahead as far as monetary policy. And it talks about the two potential outcomes uh, depending on which way the Fed decides to go. I'll talk with my special guest on today's program a bit more about that as well. My special guest today is Mr. Brian London. Brian is the editor of Gold Newsletter. He's also the CEO of the New Orleans Investment Conference. I caught up with Brian this past week, and uh, I know you're going to uh, get a lot of good information from the conversation that I had with Brian. To get the January special report titled Two Possible Outcomes, and with that report will come some bonus information, including a copy of my best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing. The Retirement Planning Strategy for the Post-Pandemic Economy. I'll also send you a copy of the best-selling book, The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization, as well as some other resources. Uh, All this information will come to you absolutely free of charge with no further obligation. To get your box of information sent to you absolutely free, all you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com and let us know where to mail that report, and we'll be very glad to do so. So this segment I'm going to title Depression Parallels. And there are a lot of parallels between where we are today and what we saw in the late 1920s. Now, this is not a comfortable topic, but as my now often quoted history professor used to say, those don't those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. And the older I get and the more experience I acquire, the smarter my history professor becomes. Now, in this segment, I won't have a chance to talk about every parallel, but I want to talk about two in particular. And I think that The evidence points to the fact that these two particular outcomes are a direct result of central bank policy, the Federal Reserve policy. One is the wealth gap, and the other is debt excesses, or I will call it consumerism excesses. So to understand these outcomes, it's important to understand the role that the central bank played creating the prosperity illusion that we've experienced since the financial crisis, as well as the prosperity illusion of the Roaring Twenties. Now, I use the term prosperity illusion very intentionally. And let me give you just a quick example to make my point. Let's just say for a moment that you are awarded a credit card and you have no obligation to pay off the balance of that credit card. Let's say the credit card has a $50,000 spending limit. You can go out and buy anything you want with this credit card. You can go to dinner. You can have trips. You can buy anything you'd like. But once the limit on the credit card is reached, you have to stop spending. Well, until such time as the limit on the credit card is reached, it seems that you're extremely prosperous, but it's a prosperity illusion. It's not really your money, and at a certain point in the future, the credit limit will be hit, and you'll have to quit spending money. That's essentially what has happened with the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve, as many of you know, was founded back in 1913, and shortly after the central bank was founded, one of the first things that the Fed did was reduce the backing of the U.S. dollar by gold. Now, prior to 1913, when the Fed was established, the U.S. dollar was essentially gold. The U.S. dollar was backed by 100% gold, and an ounce of gold was worth $20. A $20 gold piece was an ounce of gold. You would have an ounce of gold in your pocket, and you could go throw it on the counter at the general store and buy anything you would like. Now, shortly after the Fed was set up, the backing of the US dollar by gold was reduced from 100% backed by gold to being backed by gold 40%. Now, a little basic math would have you conclude that that increased the currency supply by 250%. Currency was created. Now, the way it was done really goes beyond the scope of this segment, but suffice it to say, paper money notes were introduced that could be redeemed for the real money, for the real gold. Now, I should, in the interest of full disclosure, explain to you that I am not a trained economist. However, I have learned from my study of history that when currency is created, it always has to find a home. When currency is created, it has to go somewhere. And incidentally, since the majority of trained economists today are of the Keynesian School of Economics, I count my lack of formal training as an attribute rather than a detriment just because my common sense has not been compromised. Now, there are a lot of eventual adverse outcomes that occur as a result of currency creation, but the two on which I want to focus are debt accumulation, and income inequality or the wealth gap. So let's begin with debt accumulation. I wanna give you a bit from an article that I found that was written about the period of time now known as the Roaring Twenties. Consumerism in the 1920s was the idea that Americans should continue to buy products and goods in outrageous numbers. These people neither needed or could afford these products, which generally caused them to live paycheck to paycheck. People bought many quantities of products like automobiles, washing machines, sewing machines, and radios, and this massive purchasing was accelerated because installment plans were developed during this timeframe. These were plans that allowed someone to get the product and then pay for them in small monthly installments over time. Now, this was the reason that 80% of the Americans during the 1920s had no savings and were living paycheck to paycheck. And yes, I'm talking about the roaring 20s. And as debt accumulated, this became a huge contributing factor to the Great Depression. The Great Depression, in my view, is largely caused by debt excesses, debt levels in the private sector that were too large to be paid. And as a result, as I just noted, many Americans lived paycheck to paycheck. Now, we are now experiencing the same thing, and I'll talk more about this in the fourth segment of today's program. MSNBC recently reported, this is on December 15th, that almost two-thirds of American households are now living paycheck to paycheck. I'll give you just a very brief quote from the article. Quote, as of November, 63% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck, according to a monthly Lending Club report. Even high-income earners are under pressure. Of those earning more than six figures, 47% reported living paycheck to paycheck. Why is this? Debt levels are rising, as I will talk about more in the last segment of today's program. We are repeating history. Moving ahead, the Fed has only two possible options, in my view, and that's the topic of the January special report. When you request the January special report, I'll send you a copy of my best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing, as well as a copy of the Social Security Maximization book. To get the report and all the bonus information, visit requestyourreport.com. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Brian London. Brian is the CEO of the New Orleans Investment Conference. He is also the editor of Gold Newsletter. You can learn more about Gold Newsletter at goldnewsletter.com. And uh, you can learn more about the New Orleans Investment Conference at neworleansconference.com. And, uh, Brian, welcome back to the program.
1: Great to be back on it, Dennis. Thank you so much.
0: You know, Brian, I think that uh, for our, our, our audience is growing all the time, and I think for our listeners maybe that aren't familiar with Gold Newsletter, I, I think the, 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 the back story and the history about the, the newsletter is fascinating. Could, could you share that with listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, my uh, longtime mentor and for a while business partner uh, in this industry was a guy named Jim Blanchard who was uh, driving in his car on vacation and heard Nixon in August, on August 15th of 1971 come out and say that he was uh, basically severing the dollar's last remaining ties to gold, that uh, from then forward, uh, foreign governments would not be able to send their, their dollars to the U.S. Treasury and exchange them for gold out of Fort Knox. And Jim knew that this was going to usher in a period of unrestrained Uh, spending by the U.S. government, and therefore a a period of very high inflation, which of course happened. Um, But at the time, it was absolutely illegal for American citizens to own gold. You could not invest in gold, and other than rare coins or jewelry, uh, it was as illegal as, say, owning plutonium or heroin or anything like that. And uh, Jim thought that was absolutely ridiculous because what the government was doing was uh, basically setting up to steal from the American citizens through a hidden tax called inflation. And by, by not letting U.S. citizens own gold, it was also preventing them from protecting themselves from this inflation. So it would be like the, uh, the skipper of the Titanic uh, you know, directing the Titanic into the iceberg uh, but before he did that, uh, removing all of the life jackets and lifeboats, um, and uh, and so that's what was going to ha- was happening. So Jim started uh, a publication from his kitchen table called Gold Newsletter, uh, that was part of his advocacy and uh, and lobbying for the return of the right of gold ownership for American citizens. He was successful in that in uh, 1974. So we decided to have an investment conference to teach Americans how to invest in gold, and uh, that started what became the New Orleans Investment Conference. So Gold Newsletter is now in its 52nd year of publication, and I own and publish it and carried on Jim's legacy after he passed away in 1999. Um, And the New Orleans Investment Conference uh, just completed its 48th annual event. So we are... uh, The oldest uh, newsletter out there, consistently published, constantly published newsletter on precious metals, and as well the oldest uh, retail investment conference still going. So it's a it's a legacy that we're very proud of, and try to burnish that legacy every day, and build upon it, and uh, and that's where we are.
0: Well, I appreciate that background, Brian. Uh,
1: and, and you know, when you, when you, when you fast forward to today, you know, you, you mentioned
0: 1971 is when Nixon, you know, made the dollar officially a fiat currency, uh, since that time, uh, according to a number of reports measured in gold, the a the, the, number, number of, uh, the, the reports that I read anyway, the dollars lost like 98% of its purchasing power. Um, w- where do things play out from here? We've got, we've got rampant inflation, uh, arguably much higher than the official measure of inflation, uh, the Consumer Price Index. Uh, And and the Fed's raising interest rates, but uh, is it enough? Where do things go from here?
1: Well, the first thing that people need to realize is none of this is new. This is a a scenario, a play that's played out many times over human history. In fact, every civilization, every uh, government throughout uh, human history has always reached a point where it has overspent its means, um, created debts that it couldn't handle. Ancient Rome did it through military campaigns and, uh, believe it or not, entitlement systems, um, bread and circuses, all of that sort of thing. And they, they, in every case, the, the prescription, the recipe, is the same. You devalue the currency so that you can pay back those debts in cheaper uh, currencies. In the the times of ancient Rome, it was a Roman denarius. And you can track the fall of Rome with the decline in the purchasing power of the denarius. Um, And interestingly, since the 1960s, when the US removed uh, silver from its coinage, you see a very similar trajectory, as you just mentioned, in the purchasing power of the dollar. So none of this is new. And the end result of all of this is that the dollar will continue to depreciate. It will continue to lose purchasing power, but at an accelerating rate. Um, But the good news is that investors can protect themselves because uh, gold retains its purchasing value. You know, if you take uh, certain values, and there's a great website called pricedingold.com that does this for a number of indices, uh, not just. Uh, consumer items but the Dow Industrials Index, the S&P 500, uh, Big Mac, um, uh, the value of an Ivy League education and it's tracked these costs over decades but divided them by the price of gold, the value of gold at that time and you can see that priced in gold uh, the Dow hasn't moved in 60 years. Um, that Priced in gold, the, the the cost of an Ivy League education is the same today as it was in the 1930s. So that's what gold does. and And it doesn't do it consistently tick by tick. It doesn't keep track of inflation. But what it does is move higher in terms of the local currency when people get really concerned about the purchasing power of that currency. So it makes up lost time and tends to overshoot. And we're seeing that play out right now. We're seeing gold prices really responding uh, to what the Fed has done and in, uh, in really just uh, breaking down, breaking all the rules and, and, and easing money to levels that no one uh, ever thought possible uh, uh, due to the COVID crisis. Um, and we're seeing them try to, again, bring that back. But they really won't be able to because in that process, they built up so much debt. So it's a long way of saying that I think the Fed is trapped at this point. They cannot uh, raise rates much more because of the size of the federal debt. Uh, They also can't raise rates much more because they're going to break the financial system if they do. So the markets are starting to sense this, that the Fed is nearing the end of its rate hike campaign, uh, and, and they're starting to react to that.
0: Yeah, Brian. I mean, uh, from from where I sit, and, and please correct me if you have a different perspective. But the Fed, you know, they have two options. They can they can continue this this tightening. They can continue to increase interest rates and sacrifice the economy. At which point, we go into this you know deflationary collapse, or they can go back to you know the the gun, and they've got one bullet left in the gun, and that's uh, easy money, uh, and and that feeds inflation. So, I mean, it, can, can this possibly an, end well? I mean, these These economists uh, that that talk about a soft landing, I mean, is is all that at this point just fiction in your view?
1: Well, we may have a softer landing than many expect, but every indicator is pointing toward a recession. So I think we're going to have that, and that will also uh, be a a speed bump in the Fed's plans. Um, You say they have two options. I really don't think they have any options, or at least no good options. There's no way out of what they have done other than a further depreciation of the currency and um, and so I, I think they are going to be forced to turn back pretty soon because the, the size of the debt alone um, is too large for them to keep interest rates at this level you know they're talking about over 5% um, for and higher for longer at 5% uh, your cost your bottom line monthly, not monthly, but annual annual cost of servicing the federal debt of thirty one trillion dollars is over one and a half trillion dollars a year. So, not only are you spending on entitlements and, and everything else that the government does, and uh, running an annual deficit of well over a trillion dollars, but on top of that, you're going to be paying out a trillion and a half dollars in interest on the federal debt. Therefore, accelerating the, the debt spiral, um, and even though the U.S. can get away with it much longer than other countries and far, far longer than, than any individual or company could, could get away with it in the private sector, uh, the day of reckoning is coming. The, the debt will accelerate at much greater rates because of the cost of servicing the debt. And uh, that cost, just paying the interest on the federal debt, is about to overwhelm every other spending category in the federal budget. So,
0: Brian, do you have an ultimate inflation forecast? I mean, when the Fed reverses, doesn't that have to to feed this inflation monster again?
1: Yeah, it will. Um, Right now, uh, goods inflation, the goods component of the CPI, is falling very quickly. But the services component, which a lot of is, is driven by wages, is catching up and, and uh, is, is still accelerating higher. Uh, so it, it's a bit of a mixed bag. What I think is going to happen is that inflation, is, at least in this interim cycle, intermediate cycle, uh, is going to settle around 4% to 5% and remain stubbornly uh, around the, that area. Um, And the Fed is not going to be able to get it any lower, is not going to be able to get it close to its 2% target before it's forced to to give up these rate hikes, either by uh, an economic slowdown or the cost of servicing the federal debt. So the scenario then would be that the Fed uh, is forced to give up on fighting inflation before it gets to its 2% target. In that kind of environment, it's really not bullish, and really for the first time ever, because Federal Reserve liquidity and easy money have driven all of the markets up together. You know, Markets that used to run against each other periodically, uh, equities, you know, the stock market, the bond market, commodities. They've been lifted on easy money and brought down by the withdrawal of easy money altogether for really since since post-2008. What we're getting into, I believe, is a situation where you'll have stubbornly high inflation and the Fed proven powerless to prevent it. That's not bullish. That's no longer bullish for equities or bonds. But it is very bullish for precious metals, gold, silver, and other commodities, other things, tangible assets. So I think that's really going to come to into its own because you'll see allocations of, of investments of this huge global uh, pool of liquidity. You'll see some small shifts of allocations away from equities and bonds into the much smaller markets of gold and silver, for example. And because these markets are so small, it won't take that much of a shift in allocations to send them far higher. And I, and I think that's where we're going to see over the next 12 to 18 months.
0: Well, my guest today is Mr. Brian London. He is the editor of Gold Newsletter. You can learn more at goldnewsletter.com. He's also the CEO of the New Orleans Investment Conference. You can learn more at neworleansconference.com. I'll continue my conversation with Brian when our LA Radio returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I'm chatting today with Mr. Brian London. Brian is the editor of Gold Newsletter. You can learn more at goldnewsletter.com. He is also the CEO of the New Orleans Investment Conference. Uh, He said in the first segment in its 48th year, very impressive. Uh, You can learn more at neworleansconference.com. And uh, Brian, for our listeners that may not be familiar with the New Orleans Investment Conference, uh, can you give them a bit of a, a glimpse as to uh, what the conference is all about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is a, um, a, a unique event. There's really nothing like it out there, and um, it, it's hard to explain uh, to people unless they actually experience it. But we are known for bringing in some of the biggest names in, uh, uh, in investing and financial information. Uh, macroeconomics even geopolitics and have done that for years we were uh, we had Ayn Rand for example in her last public appearance at our conference we had uh, Lady Margaret Thatcher as a speaker we had Alan Greenspan many times we had uh, Milton Friedman many times um, <clears throat> And these in our stage has attracted these people because we have a, a reputation for being kind of the best of the best in a really exclusive investment environment but also focused on bringing information that people would not get necessarily from their mainstream news sources Um, and our experts uh, will uh, bring in, will talk about things in our kind of intimate intimate environment that they wouldn't necessarily necessarily talk about to the Wall Street Journal or CNBC or in the mainstream news and you get to meet these people as well as you're walking the hall. So it's it's a really an incredible event that is valuable not just because of the information that you get from these outstanding speakers on the stage, but also for your fellow attendees. We bring together hundreds of people who are independent thinkers, they're they're maverick investors, they uh, chart their own course they make their own investment decisions and they think for themselves and they're all willing to share their ideas and views and and uh, and choices and predictions and it's and it's a wonderfully intellectually stimulating environment and we have we have people who have been coming for 20 30 even 40 years on a regular basis to this event and would not miss it um, so it, it's really special and it, it occurs every fall. This year, our dates are November 1st to 4th, of course, in, here in New Orleans. Um, and uh, I really encourage people, we haven't really built out our agenda, but you can go see our 2022 speakers that we had just last fall uh, and get an idea of the kinds of speakers that we present and the kind of information that's presented. So I would encourage people to take a look at our website, neworleansconference.com, look at our list of speakers and uh, circle the date and uh, and try to make it down because it is an incredible experience that's duplicated really nowhere else in the financial industry.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that, Brian. And,
1: and uh,
0: maybe to jump in and talk, uh, p- pick up a bit uh, where we left off in the last segment, but maybe from a little bit of a different angle. It seems now worldwide that b- because of this, uh, you know, excessive currency creation, uh, By the Federal Reserve, that now uh, the rest of the world is quickly uh, moving away from the U.S. dollar. There's talk of the Petro Yuan. There's talk of uh, uh, you know the BRICS countries having a commodity-backed currency sometime this year. Uh, Do do you see this year or next the the dollar's reign as the world reserve currency coming to an end?
1: Uh, No, I really don't, and you know I I disagree with a lot of my uh, uh, fellow. Um, contrarians out there in in that. I don't think that the dollar will lose its status as a reserve currency anytime soon or anytime that really matters uh, to investors today because while there's plenty to criticize about the rule of law in uh, the U.S., it's still the best out there. Um, And you combine that with the size of the U.S. economy and, uh, and its military and uh, it will continue to be the destination of choice for, uh, uh, for governments and for global flows of, of money, of currency. Um, there are, there's a lot of talk about China taking over that role or Russia or some combination thereof. But uh, when you consider that the uh, monetary policy and the value and the, the security of your funds in any of those countries is really dependent on which side of the bed a dictator woke up on that morning. Uh, you won't see a lot of the really important uh, s- stores of money in the world um, and, and very important um, uh, areas of the banking system and financial flows, etc., uh, seeking to, to take up residence in China or Russia or any currency that, that they promote. Um, now that said, there is something going on with Russian and Chinese purchases of gold, uh, which have remained strong for for years. And uh, China recently let it know, let it be known, that it is adding to its gold reserve, something it hasn't done uh, for a number of years. That is letting people know that it is adding to its gold reserves. So there is some kind of a long-term plan there, and there have been. Uh, some thoughts expressed about connecting a, uh, a currency, a new global currency, to gold. If that were to happen, then I think it would, over the longer term, have a chance to compete with the dollar, because if it would be um, regulated independently of whatever Putin or she or any other dictator could do, um, then I think it would be a viable alternative and competitor to the dollar. But until that happens, I don't see any way the dollar will will lose its uh, international reserve currency status. You know, I want to talk about maybe an ancillary
0: topic. I'd love your opinion on it. Uh, There is a push by many central banks around the world, including the Federal Reserve, for a central bank-issued digital currency. Um, Do you think that that will be a reality? And if so, how will it it affect uh, gold investors?
1: Yeah, it's scary. I think it is a uh, will one day become a reality in some form just because government always seeks more and more power. Um, So they're going to try for it. Uh, It it is the most dangerous idea out there. Um, It would be absolutely uh, calamitous for personal liberty liberty, um, and freedom and and, uh, would allow the government to not only track whatever you spend anything on, but also punish you if you're not doing what they think you should do. Um, fortunately, if I, my sources who know uh, Chairman uh, Jerome Powell of the Federal Reserve feel like he's very much against that. And uh, the current regime is uh, saying the right things as far as they're studying it, but don't see any real use of it for it. But, again, the, the arc of history says that governments always seize greater and greater power. Um, and unless there's a, a very strong popular uprising and some sort of an amendment to the Constitution preventing it, um, I think eventually that's going to come about. And that would make it more and more important that people have their own store of, of precious metals, physical gold and silver in their possession. Uh, because the government is going to seek greater and greater control. And gold and silver uh, really is your protection against that. It's protection against government mismanagement of the economy and the currency, but it's also protection against government intrusions to your privacy.
0: Well, I'm chatting today with Mr. Brian London. He
1: is the editor of Gold Newsletter. You can learn more at goldnewsletter.com.
0: He's also the CEO of the New Orleans Investment Conference. He described the conference at the beginning of this segment. NewOrleansConference.com is that website. Uh, So last year, we talked about this a bit in the first segment, Brian. Last year, those who maybe invested using the traditional Wall Street one-bucket approach, uh, like 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, or or some combination thereof, uh, they're, they're licking their wounds this year. Uh, do you see any point in the near future that this, 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 this one-bucket stock and bond approach will be uh, successful again? Or do you think we're in a little bit of a new era here for the near near future?
1: Well, as I alluded to, the, the old uh, portfolio allocations haven't worked for some time. Uh, and that's because all of the correlations have tended toward one. In other words, All of these markets that used to be contracyclical when one went up, the other one went down, and and vice versa, um, which is why you have a diversified portfolio, so you're not subject to that kind of volatility, and something's always working for you, that hasn't worked really since 2008, and the Fed came in and flooded the markets with liquidity, uh, with new money, uh, cranked up the printing press, and therefore the markets have become addicted even more so, to not just easy money, but ever easier money. Um, And that process has been accelerated, and we're we're seeing actually the reaction of when the the Fed tries to take that punch bowl away. But still, they're all going up together and down together, uh, according to whatever, however the Wall Street traders uh, read the tea leaves for Fed policy on any given day. Now, what's interesting is that Commodities and precious metals, gold and silver, have been caught up in that as well. They've they've gone up and down as well, dependent upon how the market views upcoming Fed policy. But in very recent weeks, we've seen the uh, the metals start to uh, decouple a bit from the equity market, for example, uh, and and that I think might be a precursor to that scenario I'm talking about, where the Fed is shown to be. Uh, powerless to fight inflation but has to yield to the all these pressures and step back from hiking rates and may maybe even pivot and start lowering rates again uh in that kind of environment i think precious metals will be the place to be and it will not necessarily be bullish for every other asset class uh so you know that's something that could happen over the this year over the coming 12 months and if it does uh it's going to be very lucrative for people who are invested in this sector.
0: Well, my guest today is Mr. Ben, Mr. Brian London. He's the
1: editor of Gold Newsletter, the website, once again, goldnewsletter.com.
0: He is also the CEO of the New Orleans Investment Conference, uh, the website, neworleansconference.com. Uh, Brian, always get terrific feedback when you're on the program. We appreciate you taking time out to join us today, and we'd love to have you back down the road.
1: We'd love to do it, Dennis. It's always a pleasure.
0: We will return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host Dennis Kubergen. and glad you decided to tune in today. But thanks again for my special guest, Brian London, for joining me on today's program. I'm talking about parallels between the 1920s and today. Admittedly, this is a rather uncomfortable topic. But as I talked about in the first segment, quoting my history professor, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. In the first segment, I talked about the fact that when the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank of the United States, the same central bank that is still in existence today, when the Federal Reserve was founded in 1913, one of the first things that the Fed did was reduce the backing of the U.S. dollar by gold. Prior to 1913, the dollar was backed by gold 100% the Fed cut that back to 40%, which expanded the currency supply by 250%. Now, I don't need to tell you how the currency supply has increased of late with the Fed literally creating currency out of thin air via quantitative easing programs. Well, easy money means that debt accumulates, and consumers in the 1920s overreached, and as a result, 80% of them were living paycheck to paycheck. And today, according to MSNBC, about two thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And the evidence suggests that it is largely for the same reason debt levels are rising and rising very quickly. Credit card debt is reaching record highs just as interest rates now on credit cards are reaching very high levels as well. Zero Hedge reported that the latest consumer credit report, which was published just last week by the Fed, showed that total credit increased by $28 billion in November alone. Credit card debt is now at all-time highs. But it's not just credit card debt. The Atlantic ran an article that talked about buy now, pay later programs. I'm going to give you just a bit from that article as well. Quote, in a few short years, financial technology firms such as Affirm, Afterpay, and Klarna, which allow for consumers to pay for purchases over several interest-free installments, have infiltrated nearly every corner of e-commerce. People are buying cardigans with this kind of financing. They're buying groceries and TVs. During the summer of, 19, of 2020, at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, they bought enough Peloton products to account for 30% of a firm's revenue. And incidentally, those products are purchased on a buy now, pay later program as well. And Americans, of course, have used layaway programs since the Great Depression, but it's kind of flipped around. Rather than claiming an item and taking it home only after you've paid in full, the whole program now is flipped. You get the item and then you pay for the item after there is a cursory credit check. Now, lest you think these buy now, pay later programs are nominal. From twenty nineteen to twenty twenty one, over that three year time frame, buy now pay later loans originated in the United States grew more than a thousand percent. Now, admittedly, that's still a small fraction of the amount charged to credit cards, but when total loans originated on buy now pay later programs go from two billion to nearly twenty five billion in three years. It points to its mainstream appeal. And as a side note, most borrowers using buy now, pay later programs are those age 30 and under. These are people that typically either aren't using credit cards or maybe can't even get a credit card. Now, the other side effect, if you will, the other adverse outcome of currency creation is a wealth gap. Now, in the first segment, I quoted an article written about the 1920s, and I'm going to give you just a bit more from that article relating to income inequality. Quote, the income gap of the 1920s was the difference in income between the top 1% of wealthy Americans and the rest of average earnings. Within this income gap, 60% of Americans in the 1920s earned below the poverty level, while 1%, the top 1% of wealthy Americans, saw their incomes increase by 75% during the 1920s. The other 99% saw an increase of 9%. So the top 1% saw an increase of 75%. The other 99% saw their incomes increase by an average of 9%. That explains the paycheck-to-paycheck phenomenon of the 1920s. Now, if you fast forward to today, the first fact is that the wealth gap is larger in the United States than it is in any other G7 country. If you look at the top 1% of earners in the United States, according to World Population Review, the top 1% of earners in the U.S., have average earned income of just over a million dollars a year and the top 10% are at 246,800 a year the bottom 50% less than 20,000 a year the parallel is eerie this is what currency creation and artificial markets do but there is an eternal economic truth and that truth is simply this artificial markets Can't last forever. History teaches us that artificial markets will return to reality, and when they do, there will be adverse consequences. If you haven't yet taken steps to protect yourself, now is the time, and I would encourage you to take a minute and go to the website, requestyourreport.com, and request our free information being made available during the month of January. The January special report is titled two possible outcomes, that report references and discusses in detail the two options the Federal Reserve has, and as I talked about with Brian London in the last segment, there are no good options. You need to prepare for these two possible outcomes, however, which could be radically different. Go to requestyourreport.com, we'll send you the report, you'll get that information along with a copy of the best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing, as well as a copy of the best-selling book, The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. You'll also get a couple copies of a recent client newsletter. You'll get lots of information, lots of resources. It is free. All you have to do to get it is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.